All right. Hey, uh, this is Holy Week. Holy Week is a string of eight days that allow us the opportunity to, to reflect upon the greatest event in all of human history. The moment Jesus willingly, obediently died on the cross for all humanity. And then three days later, to raise from the dead, to conquer sin and death. Holy Week begins with today, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a celebration of the triumphal entry. Um, and we're not going to talk about that today. Uh, we've talked about that before. Um, but today at 6 o'clock, we're having a play, which is not really a part of the Holy Week, but uh, it'll be a great thing. So all the children are put on the play tonight. So come back at 6 o'clock and, and, and support them. That will be great. Um, Thursday is known as Monday Thursday. Um, that was uh, the night of the Last Supper. Uh, Monday, my understanding that, that comes from a Latin word, uh, mandatum, which we get the word mandatory. Um, the, it, it means commandment. Um, we call it Monday Thursday because that's the day Jesus washed the feet of the disciples and gave them a new commandment to love one another as he has loved us. And a lot of churches, they observe that Sunday. I don't, actually, I don't know of any churches, but it's, it's a thing. They, there's uh, people wash, you know, they wash each other's feet. Um, we don't do that one here, uh, but we do celebrate Good Friday. Good Friday is the, the day that Jesus was crucified. Um, and so we will have a Good Friday service here this Friday at 730. And I would encourage you to come to the Good, Good Friday service. Uh, we will also be having a 24-hour prayer vigil. You see uh, some ribbons here. Uh, by all means, if, if something's going on in your life, something's going on in your family, something's going on that, that you want us to take to God in prayer, uh, get that on the list. And I would encourage you, if you can be a part of this 24-hour prayer vigil, that doesn't mean that you're praying for 24 hours, but our church is praying for 24 hours. So uh, come into the church and, and take these cards and, and, and see how you can be praying for the families in our church. And I would tell you, there's a lot of families in our church who are hurting right now. Um, we're, we're going through a moment right now. Um, physical things going on, other things going on. Um, people need prayer. So if you can be a part of that, uh, please be a part of that. Um, um, and then Sunday, next Sunday, we celebrate. That's all I'm going to say about that. That, that party, okay? Um, it gets good then. But I, I say all that to say this is Holy Week, and I would ask you to give yourself to this Holy Week in, in, in some way, find a way to make this a holy time between you and God in preparation for getting ready for the celebration next Sunday. Um, as I said, today is Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. Uh, we're not talking about the triumphal entry today. We actually covered that in September. And, and if you've been a part of the church for a while, we've been, we've been talking about nothing but the last week of Jesus since September with the exception of Christmas. Christmas, we had a couple weeks that we did Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2. Um, but, but we've been working our way last week, and today my focus is Jesus going to the cross, the crucifixion. I want to pick it up in Matthew 26, just a little review of, of, of what the Word of God has, has communicated to us. I, I think this is very important to, to see. And, and, and I'll take you back to that Palm Sunday, back in September. Uh, what Palm Sunday was, the triumphal entry. When Jesus 
entered into Jerusalem. What makes that day so special? Um, and if you remember, we talked about the Passover. And the Passover, um, on the 10th, the Passover is on the 14th day of Nisan. On the 10th day of Nisan, four days before Passover, that would be Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem, and, and that 10th day of Nisan, what's so special about that is that's the, the time the, the lambs were brought for the Passover, and, and they are to be inspected. The inspection begins on that day, and you have four days to examine the lambs to make sure there's no blemishes. And, and I would remind you what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, Grant read this earlier. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from the, your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. What I want to do here, I want to establish the innocence of Jesus. What we've talked about for several weeks, Jesus is innocent. And you see, a lamb without blemish or defect. That's how Peter describes Jesus. That began Palm Sunday. Then we, the, one of the things we talked about over the weeks was the arrest. Jesus was arrested. And I just I put this in here. Um, Matthew 26, verse 55. At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Remember when Jesus was being arrested. In the middle of the night, he was being arrested by this mob of people with their weapons, with their torches, with their clubs. And he says, Am I a robber? Why are you treating me like this? Like I'm a thief? I'm a criminal? I'm what? What's the crime? What's the charge? And we don't hear of any charge. We just know they went to arrest him. But for what? And then after the arrest, he was taken to Caiaphas' house, and he was tried in the middle of the night. And we talked about that. That was a very corrupt, corrupt event, to be tried in the middle of the night at Caiaphas' house. And it wasn't saying in Matthew 26. Now the chief priests and the, and the whole council, they, try, they kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. But they did not find any. I mean, they were looking. They were trying to come up with anything, anything. And they could not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. It was a corrupt trial with false witnesses. And, and, and I would tell you, this only magnifies the righteousness of Jesus and the wickedness of mankind. Jesus is holy, and these priests, these, these religious people were, were so not holy. Light and darkness, night and day. We talked about Judas. One week, we just, the whole, whole Sunday was just about Judas and his betrayal. And it says in Matthew 27, verse 3, Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that, he had been con- saw that Jesus had been condemned, he felt remorse. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And I said that week, betrayal is the only way a righteous man can be condemned. A guilty man is condemned by the facts. An innocent man is only condemned if someone betrays him. A betrayal is further evidence of Jesus' innocence, of his righteousness. They had no grounds on which to condemn him. He had to be betrayed. And when Judas 
saw that Jesus was condemned, Judas felt remorse. He, he tried to return the 30 pieces of silver. And, and, and get this, get what he said. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Judas recognized that Jesus, Jesus was innocent. His, his blood is innocent. Jesus is righteous. And then we spent a couple weeks talking about Pilate. Uh, Jesus is now taken before the governor. He's taken before Pilate. And in Matthew 27, verse 22, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who you call Christ? And they all said, Crucify him. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? In the Gospel of Luke, three times, Pilate declares Jesus to be innocent. He says, I find no basis for a charge against this man. He says, I've examined him in your presence, and I've found no basis for the charge against him. And later on, he says, what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for, for the death penalty. Three times in the Gospel of Luke, Pilate says, he's innocent. And I take you through all this. This is just a review here. Take you through all this to, to remind you, to un- we need to understand Jesus is innocent. Jesus is righteous. The soldiers didn't know why they were arresting him. The chief priest had to lie to convict him. His betrayer couldn't bear the guilt of betraying him. And Pilate continually tried to free him. Jesus is innocent. But as we go on through the text, I think the message that the Word of God is communicating to us in my, in my mind so clearly is mankind is anything but innocent. And we're going to talk about the characters in the text. But as we go through these characters, as we look at these characters, I, I, I want you to understand your name belongs in here someplace. It's something you have to come to terms with. We'll start with Pilate. Pilate, who declares Jesus to be innocent, the verdict, he's innocent, and then what's he say? He orders that he be crucified. Matthew 27, verse 26, he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged, and he handed him over to be crucified. He handed him over to be crucified. That is wicked, That is evil. Pilate is a coward. And and this is premeditated murder, to to declare someone innocent and then order that he be crucified. It's just wicked. And then Pilate turns him over to the soldiers. And we pick it up here, Matthew 27, verse uh, 27. The governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. And they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him, and they twisted together a crown of thorns, and they set it on his head, and they put a staff in his right hand. See, these guys, have, they've already flogged him, and, and I'm not getting in all the details of that, but that's, that was just horrible. And now they're mocking him. They make a mock robe, you know, king of kings, he's got to have a robe, and a mock crown of thorns that they press on his head, and a mock scepter, a reed, a mock scepter they put in his hands, and they kneel down before him, and they mock him, and they say, Hail, king of the Jews! And can you hear these, these soldiers, these, 
these men laughing and smirking and enjoying every moment of it. How sick is that? And it's just all in a day's work. I mean, this is, this is their, their job. They, they do this all the time. They crucify people all the time. They don't care. They spit on him. They took the staff. They struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and they put, put his own clothes on him. These men are callous. They're hardened soldiers, unmoved by, by what they're doing, unmoved by what they're seeing. They're actually enjoying what they're doing, having fun, mocking him, spitting on him, hitting him. They have no idea who they're mocking. They have no idea who they're insulting. They don't realize this is the Son of God, and they don't care. And I'm telling you, these guys, it could be the Son of God. It could be a child of God. It could be somebody who has no relationship with God. They're going to kill them, and they're going to enjoy it. What kind of sickness is that? What kind of wickedness is that? What kind of evil is that? And I'm I'm just asking you to to see what it's saying here. This is wicked. And they led him away to be crucified. And we could talk about that, but um, I I don't want to spend time on that right now. Matthew 27, verse 38, introduces us to a, a new group of people. We talked about Pilate. We talked about the soldiers. And then there's these people who are just passing by. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. Now, now when the Romans crucify somebody, they don't don't take somebody and crucify them, you know, behind the warehouse someplace. No, they they want to do it in a very public place. They want everybody to get the message. They do it like at the intersection, at the crossroads, where where the the main road, I mean, Main Street and Market Street, this is where they're going to crucify people. So everybody sees what's going on. So everybody gets the message. And, And what's interesting to me is that the people aren't like crossing, they're not taking a side street. No, these people are like walking. They're not going on the other side of the street. They're walking around by, and they're participating, hurling insults. And, and, and as I read this, it's obviously these people knew something about Jesus. The, the, the insults, you know, that he claims to, to be the son of God, that he's going to destroy the temple and, and, and rebuild it in three days. Obviously, obviously, they know something about him. They probably know something about the miracles. They, they know something about you know, feeding 5,000 people, the healings. They, they know all this. And they They hurl insults. Why do these people feel the need to participate? Why do these people scorn Jesus and mock Jesus? Why why are they doing this? And and I would tell you, this is very, uh, very telling to me, when you look at just people, you look at human nature and and. It's like it's not hard for us all to just jump in and do the wrong thing. When, when the world puts up somebody in front of us and says, you need to hate this person, we all, okay, we, we all do it. We do it. We just dutifully comply. And I'll give you some examples. I got some pictures here, which is dangerous, but you remember this guy, Nick Sandman? Um, you know what he did? He, he smiled. That's all he did. And the world ate him up and destroyed him. And said he's evil. I just, I just put that up there just to make my case. And, and, and I, I got another picture of a guy named Kyle Ritterman um, that I just thought 
once again, I saw this. I saw the world say, you're supposed to hate this guy. And I saw so many people jump on that bandwagon and start hating the guy. And I'm looking at everything like, why, why are we hating this guy? And maybe that one's controversial. I don't know. I'll give you one that, okay, for the life of me, Tim Tebow. Um, if, if you're into sports, and I know some of you, are, you don't, but do you know the story? You know this guy, godly guy. He, he used to have John 3.16 under his eyes when, when he played football. And do you remember how the world just ate him up and destroyed him? And the whole time I'm thinking, why? Why are they doing that? And I saw Christians doing it. I saw Christians who just, who just piled it on with everybody else. Because everybody else was doing it, Christians were doing it. And I'm just saying, take a moment and, and take note. And, and, and maybe take a moment and repent if you were one of the people who did it. And I want to take this just a little bit further, just a, which is so dangerous, so dangerous. I don't have any more pictures, but, but if I did, what if, what if, what if, this is dangerous. What if I put a picture of President Trump up there? And, and, and once again, the hate that this world has for this man. Some people might be able to justify it. Um, some, people, you know, some people don't understand. Um, I, I just, put, just, just to mention that one, but let me take it further. What if I put a picture of President Joe Biden up there? or Nancy Pelosi, or, or Adam Schiff, or, uh, you know, man, I could just keep going and going and going with this. Um, and, 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 and my thought is, okay, there might be some pushback. Well, that's, that's, you know, that's different. That's different. Why is that different? Why is that different? Um, my point is, the world tells us to hate somebody, and look how quickly we are to jump on that bandwagon. Um, when Jesus gives us a new commandment, you are to love one another. It just seems to me that we are a whole lot better at listening to Satan than we are at listening to God. I'm just trying to make a point. There's some wickedness in this world. There's a lot of wickedness in this world. And it's not just the people in Matthew 27. And it's not just those people outside these walls. It's people. It's all of us. It's all of us. The text goes on and talks about the religious leaders in Matthew 27, verse 41. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, they mocked Jesus. And you think, they, this is the moment, they're gloating. They, they're excited that Jesus is finally getting what he deserves. And they say, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Ha! He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and then we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. Ha! So they're mocking him. They're insulting him. They're pouring it on because they hate Jesus. They're so done with Jesus. So we talk about Pilate, we talk about the soldiers, we talk about people who are just passing by. And we, of course we talk about the religious leaders. I mean, we, we, we knew they were going to do that. Um, and then there's another group of people. Matthew 27, verse 44, talks about these two robbers that were crucified next to Jesus. In the same way the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. 
what's that about? Doesn't Israel love company? And, but no, these guys, they, did Jesus insult them first? I don't think that happened, no. But they're insulting Jesus. They're mocking Jesus. And we know, according to Luke, that, that one of the thieves had a change of heart, and that's a beautiful story. But it didn't start out that way. And Matthew doesn't tell us about the one who repented, who, who asked to be remembered in paradise. Matthew doesn't talk about that. Matthew's point is look at these two thieves, and they were pouring it on as well. Matthew wants you to see everyone around Jesus mocked him and insulted him. Everyone was wicked and evil. Everyone. They mocked his majesty. You claim to be the son of God. Let, let's see you come down from that cross. They mocked his mission. He saved others, but he can't save himself. They mocked his message. Jesus was innocent. Yet he was mocked by everyone. Sinners, soldiers, governors, travelers, the bitter priests, um, those dying next to him. And, and, and I feel so strongly that I want us to recognize Jesus' innocence, his righteousness, his holiness, that he is, everything he said he was, he is. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the King of kings. It's so important that we recognize that. And I hope that you take time. I hope that you see it. I hope that you understand it. Uh, and, and, and it goes from the, heart, the, the head to the heart. But at the, the second part of the message is to understand how wicked we are. Recognize our wickedness. Not, I'm not talking about Pilate and the thieves and the religious leaders anymore. I'm talking about us. Someplace in the story, we belong. You belong in the story someplace. Maybe, maybe you're somebody with authority. Maybe you're somebody who's just doing your job. Maybe you're somebody who's kind of religious. Maybe you're a thief, a scoundrel. Maybe you're just passing by and it's none of your business. We're all wicked, and that's the point. We are all wicked. Jesus is so innocent, and we are so unworthy. Paul writes, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. No one who seeks God, all have turned away. They have together become, they have together, all of us become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And Paul continues, he says, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. No fear of God, no awe of God, no reverence for God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Matthew 27 is painting this picture. This is who we are. We are wicked. We deserve God's wrath. Isn't this a fun sermon? This is great. Yeah. And you contrast with God is a holy God. It says in Psalm 24, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and, and has not sworn, sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from, from God of his salvation, the God of his salvation. When it says, who, who, will, who will stand in the presence of God? Not me. I'm not, I don't qualify. I'm not worthy. 
And Jesus taught in Matthew 5. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Those are the words of Jesus. Unless your righteousness surpasses theirs, is there any hope for us? Any hope for anybody in here? Matthew 5, verse 48, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, and I'm not perfect. God demands perfectness. God demands righteousness from every one of us. He deserves righteousness from each one of us. And we are so unrighteous, we deserve his wrath. I don't measure up. I don't qualify. I deserve hell, and you do too. And it's my job to make sure you know that. We have a righteous God who refuses to tolerate sin. We have sinful men who cannot appease a holy God. I say all that to bring us to this question. Then why the cross? Why the cross? Why did Jesus stay on that cross? Why did Jesus not get off that cross and unleash his wrath and send everybody to hell, literally. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Is that the problem? He can't save himself? He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from that cross. Then we'll believe in him. Why? Did, if, I was, if I was God, I would have come off that cross. I would have let him have it. But not Jesus. He stayed on that cross. And my question is why? What kept him on that cross? And, 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 and I, originally I had, on the back page of your outline, I had like five answers for you. And, um, and, and then I got thinking, I don't want you to get lost in all these answers. One of the answers I had, you know, just to, to fulfill prophecy. And how huge is that? When you think about Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. When you look at, at Psalm 22, it, it, just, it blows me away. The, the, all the Old Testament prophecy written 700 years before, 1,000 years before, that Jesus fulfilled. I'm thinking to reject all the, all the word of God, all the prophecy that points to this main event, to just turn your back on that and reject that like so many people do in our world, that is an insult to God. We're, just, we're, we're still insulting God and mocking God. But that's, not, that's really not my focus today. We could talk about how Jesus stayed on that cross to just dem demonstrate the love of God that he has for us. It, it says in Romans 5.8, God, uh, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And doesn't that just blow you away that because he loves you, he stayed on that cross? But you know that, so I'm not talking about that today. Um, and it's, it's huge to me that Jesus died on that cross to appease the wrath of God. And, and I feel like I could, I could just break out in another three-hour sermon right here just to make that case. But that's not the point I want to make today. What I want you to see today, Jesus stayed on that cross to make us the righteousness of God. Let me throw a verse up here, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made him, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, who was innocent, who was righteous, who was pure, who was holy, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. All the sin was put on him so that we might become the righteousness of God. Let me just leave this up here and just ask you for a second. What do you do with that? How do you process that? 
What does that mean to you? Jesus became sin so that we might become righteous. The righteousness of God. And I'm not up here today, I'm not going to ask you to try to be righteous because Jesus died for your sins. I'm telling you, you are righteous because Jesus died for your sins. It's my job to communicate to you. You are a sinner. You are wicked. You are evil. But Jesus Christ died to make you righteous. That is good news. That is the best news. He took your place. He took your sin. He took your punishment. He took God's wrath, the the wrath that you deserve, the wrath that I deserve. He took it. And he's up on that cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And God did forgive us. So we have been made righteous. Jesus died on that cross to take your place. And I saw this this week. I thought this was beautiful. Max Lucado in a book, Grace for the Moment. He said, had the soldier hesitated, had the soldier hesitated, Jesus himself would have swung the mallet. If the soldier didn't drive that nail through the hand, Jesus would have driven the nail through through his hand. He would have done it. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares about you. Look, Look at this here, Romans 3, verse 21. But now God has shown a way to be made right with him without, without keeping the requirements of the law. Because none of us did. None of us could keep the requirements of the law. None of us are perfect. None of us could make ourselves perfect. We're not good enough. But now God has shown a way. There is a way for us to be made right. And that way is through Jesus Christ. It says in verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. We're made right. By placing our faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our King, the King of kings. And this is true for everyone who believes. Get that? This is true for every. The hardest time I have as a minister is is telling people, some people think they're too good for Jesus and other people think they're too bad for Jesus. But if if you're one of the ones who think you're too bad, then God could not save you. It's true for everyone who believes. No matter what your past is. You could be a murderer. You could be an adulterer. You could be a thief. You could be a preacher. It doesn't matter. There's hope for you. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Verse 23, for everyone has sinned, and we've all fallen short uh, uh, short of God's glorious standards. Yet God, in his grace, this is grace, freely makes us right in his sight. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins, when Jesus stayed on that cross. This is why Jesus stayed on that cross. He received our condemnation. We received his justification. He gets the scorn. We get the righteousness. One more verse for you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. He's just, you and I, unjust. He died for us so that he might bring us to God. So that he might bring us to God, having put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. This is what you need to understand. He is innocent, yet he took our sin. He took our shame. He took our separation from God. 
He took our sentence to hell. We are so sinful, and yet he gives us his righteousness, his glory. He gives us access to the Father. He gives us a home in heaven. And what it says in Romans, Romans 3, this is true for everyone who believes. And I want to ask you right now, do you believe? For everyone who places their faith in Jesus, have you placed your faith in Jesus? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Is he your King? 